0: Welcome to this week's Rashi Sheer, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Good evening, and we are up to Peret Kaf Zion Pasuk Mem Bet. And we're coming to the end of the story of Yaakov and Esav, and the uh, rearrangement, shall we say, of the brachat, the brachat which Yitzchak intended for Esav and go to Yaakov. And after all this has happened, we read last time in Parshat Man Aleph, by Yistam Esav at Yaakov. Esav hated Yaakov. Al ha-bracha asher bechu aviv on the bracha which the, his father had blessed him with. by Yom Esav be libo. And Esau said in his heart, et May the day of the morning for my father come near and I will kill Yaakov, my brother. Okay, we did that last time. And now in Pasuk Mem Bet, et divrei Esau banah. And it was told to Rivka the words of Esau Hassan, Hagadol, her older son, Tishlach. And she sent the Tikrali Yaakov, and she called Yaakov Benahakatan, her younger son, Elav. And she said to him, "Hinei of your brother, lacha Now I'll leave those last three words for Rashi to translate. But first of all, Rashi has a simple thing to say: hakodesh." It was told to Rivka through the divine spirit. It was told to her, Masha Esav maha her what Aesop was thinking in his heart. And I hope the question is obvious. I'd like to say this is a Rashi where the question is obvious. That the previous pasuk, which is why we read it, said specifically by Yomar said in his heart, which is a metaphor which is used throughout Tanakh for saying something to oneself, one's own personal thoughts. So how could it possibly be that it was told to Rivka if it was in the heart of Esau and therefore Rashi explains it was told to Rivka with a divine spirit it's interesting I just realized that Rivka um, has a navua of some sort said to her um, at the beginning of the story before the uh, babies are born and now she also has Hakodesh said to her at this significant juncture in their lives now the big uh, curiosity, or rather the big problem with this Pasuk is these words mitnachem l'cha l'hargecha Esav is mitnachem <speaking in Hebrew>. lacha. now mitnachem <speaking in Hebrew> something like nachama, <speaking in Hebrew> which means comfort but it also means something else and I think at this point we have to go to perukh vav, vav if we go to perukh vav, vav we read uh, about Hashem v'yenachem ki asa et ha'adam Hashem yinachem. So Rashi there brings two explanations. And the first is, he says, Hashem was the yinachem. And his first explanation is, it was a comfort, yinachem from Nahama, a comfort before Hashem, that he had created mankind in the lower world. If it had been the upper world, haya mamridim. Uh, then, then uh, mankind would have rebelled from his position of strength. Uh, we don't need to go into exactly what Rashi means there. The point is that Rashi's first explanation there is uh, is to do with nachama. It's a comfort. But then Rashi says they're still in vav vav. The acher, another explanation for means nefacha machshavato Hashem's in thoughts were reversed. From the, the middle of uh, mercy to the middle of judgment. He now thought what to do with this person or with this species that he had made in the land. And then says Rashi, and this is the point I wanted to get to, chain kol loshon nichum Mikra, loshon nimlach ma Asot. Similarly, all, all expression of nichum in scripture is an expression of taking advice about what to do or changing one's mind about what to do. So now is not the time to ask about why Hashem changed his mind and what was going on there in Vav, Vav. Now is the time to learn that Rashi says that throughout scripture, nichim is to take counsel about what to do or to change one's mind about what to do. So that being the case, let's go back to our Rashi. So Rivka says to Yaakov, "Eisav achicha mitnachem lacha lhargecha." Says Rashi, "Mitnachem lacha niham al haachva." He is regretting; he's changed his mind on the brotherhood, lachshav machshava Akheret, to think another thought, lehitnaker lacha to be stranger, to be a stranger to you and to kill you. So Rashi here, in cons- consistent with what he says in Vav says niham is something to do with changing one's mind. So Mitnachem L'cha, he's changed one's mind, L'cha, to you, to be different to you, instead of to be a brother to you, but rather lacha, to be a stranger to you. And then Rashi says, There's also a Midrash. It's as if you are already dead in his eyes. So Rivka is saying that you, Yaakov, are already dead in the eyes of Esau. And he is drunk over you or regarding you the cup of comfort. Alluding to some sort of mourning ritual. Where there's a cup to drink to get uh, nahama, to get comfort, or tanchumim, comfort when somebody's died. So the second explanation that Rashi brings, which he calls the midrash, is to use naham as nahama, as comfort, condolences after someone has died. And now, so there's two things that changed from the first explanation to the second. Well, apart from the fact the first one he by default is called pshat because the second one is called Midrash. So even though we might think more usually that the word Nachem is something to do with nachamah, yesterday's Haftarah, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, comfort, comfort, um, says Rashi, based on his principle in paragraph, that that is not the usual meaning of Nachem, that is not the standard meaning of Nachem, it is to change one's mind, and that's Rashi's first explanation, he's changed one's mind from being your brother to being a stranger who's going to kill you. The second and, and now in the second explanation, which he calls the midrash, is to do with the condolences that you get after someone's died. So in order to make that fit, Rashi has to say, or the midrash that he gets it from, has to say that it's as if you are already dead and Esau is, is receiving condolences for you. The next thing that's changed is the meaning of Lacha. So, in the first explanation, ניחמ <laughs> means to be. means to be strange to you. Second explanation, Rashi actually has included a word which replaces laha in the original, and that word is alecha. So in the second explanation, Rashi's got a different way of reading Lacha. Here Lacha means Alecha, as in he's received condolence over you or regarding you. Now, Rashi's not finished because then he says something a little bit throws us off because then he says, according to the simple meaning, Tanchumim. It's an expression of let's just leave it as Tanchumim because we're not sure what Tanchumim means. Mitnachem hu al ha Bahari He will be comforted over the brachat by killing you. So, what is why is this called Pshat? And if this is the Pshat, then what was the first explanation? So I think there are three explanations. Well, I don't think there are three explanations. The first one, by default, is the Pshat. Then we have a midrashic explanation, and then we have a pshat within that midrashic explanation. What do I mean? The first one takes the word um, uh, mitnachem from the word nachem to think again, to change one's mind. And that is the basic meaning of the word. Then we use a different meaning of the word, which is midrashic, which is um, mitnachem is related to tanchumim, as in condolence. And within that, we bring two explanations. The first is Midrashic, so I would call it the Midrash of the Midrash, i.e. that you're already dead and Aesov is drinking the cup of tanhumim. And the second explanation, which is the Pshat within the Midrashic interpretation of tanhumim, which is a simpler explanation. There's no projection that you're already dead. And that's why it's simpler that the, the, the he is now going to get tanhumim. he's going to get comfort by killing you. So the Pshat of the word is to change your mind. The Midrashic interpretation is condolence. And within that Midrashic interpretation, there's one which is Midrashic and one which is Pshat. And that covers all possibilities. Okay. We can now move on to Pasuk Mem Gimel. So Rivka says to Yaakov, shema b'koli. And now, my son, listen to my voice, El Lavan And get up and flee for yourself to Lavan, my brother, to Haran. No Rashi. And you shall dwell with him for probably the simplest translation, which Rashi is about to reject, is a few days. Echad is one, achadim is a few single days. Ad Asher Tashuv until the anger of your brother has literally returned i.e. he's calmed down a bit and rashi says on the word achadim mu'atin means short as in or reduced as in a short period of time so it's not a few days but it's a short period of time so why does rashi say this why does rashi change a few days into a longer but still not very long period of time so the simple answer is to logically look at the story and realize that Aesop not going to calm down in a few days in Yomim Achadim. Aesop is very cross. Aesop has let out a loud and bitter cry. Aesop is planning to kill Yaakov as soon as the opportunity presents itself. So yeah, Rivka realizes or Rashi imagines that Rivka realizes that it's not going to happen in Yomim Achadim in just a few days. But I don't think that's the main answer. The main answer, we have to look um, at a couple of, three of them actually, in Perak Kaf Tet. So in Perekh Kaf Tet, if you look at Pasuk Chet, if you've got your Hamash in there, if you haven't, you can listen along. Um, we are now in the story where Yaakov has arrived in Laban's house and he meets Rachel, whom he wants to marry. And the point comes where a, uh, Lavan says, What do you want as your wages for your shepherding work? And Yaakov, and we read in Posset Yud Chet, for Ya'ehaav Yaakov is Rachel. Yaakov loves Rachel, and he said, I will work for her seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. So there's a famous comment of why Rashi has to say, why Yaakov has to say Rachel, your younger, your daughter, the younger one, but that's not for us now. Why does he say, I will work for her for seven years? Where does he get this idea from? It says Rashi there on the words Evadcha, Sheva Shanim, Haim Yamim Achadim, Shaamra lo Imo. These are the few, the Yamim let's leave it as Yomim Achadim, that his mother said to him. V'yashavta imo yamim achadim, in our Pasuk, you will live with him, with with Lavan, for yamim achadim. And then Rashi says, V'teidah shekeinhu, and you shall know this is so, Shaharekativ, because it writes, V'hiyu be'enav k'yamim achadim. Those years were in his eyes, like yamim achadim. And if you look at two Pasukim later, in Kaf Tet Kaf, V'yaavod yaakov barachel sheva shanim, Yaakov worked for Rachel for seven years, but he enough you know, and they were in his eyes like let's leave it again as yamim achadim in his love for her. So seems to me. That our Rashi depends on that Rashi, that Rashi there in Peret Kaftet said, why did Yaakov think that, why did Yaakov offer to work for Rachel for seven years? We all know that Yaakov worked for Rachel for seven years and then he worked for another seven years and Lavan tricked him and tricked him. But actually the seven years first came from Yaakov. It was his suggestion. So why did he suggest seven years? Says Rashi, that was the Yomim Achadim. So once you say that Rashi says that Yaakov says that Yomim Achadim is seven years, it's not a few days. It might be a short period of time, relatively, but it's not a few days. We can go on because in the next passage, in Kafetet, um Yaakov says, seven years are up, it's time to get married. And he says, Hava et ishti, bring me my wife, Kimilu Yamai. Because my days are complete, ilaha, and I may go into her, which is Rashi himself says it's a very strange thing for a tzaddik to say. Um, but the key Rashi that I want to see is on the words in that passage: malu yamai, Sha'amra li imi. The days are complete. Which days? The days that my mother said to me. So Rashi there in kavtet um, in two places in rashi and one place and, and another place in the in the text of the Chumash itself clearly is saying beyond all doubt I and mean, he says it in three different ways that the yamim achadim are seven years and when yaakov says i worked for racha for seven years and after the seven years i want to marry her these are the yamim achadim that his mother said to him so if the yamim achadim turn out to be seven years they can't be literally a few days Hence, Rashi here, in order to make Rashi here, the possek here, fit with the possek there in Kaftet, says Yame Machadim means mu'atim, which means a short period of time. Now, you might say seven years is not a short period of time. Relative to a bigger picture, it is, or it's enough that we can say it is, that Yaakov can refer because, as, according uh, to Rashi, the seven years are Yame Machadim. And indeed, the possek itself. Uses that same phrase, which is probably the key to the whole thing, that in um, pasuk kaftet kaf, the pasuk itself says that the days that he worked for Racha, which we know were seven years, is yamim achadim, like yamim achadim, which Rashi says is obviously the same yamim achadim as we have in our pasuk here. Okay, mem hey. Continues Rivka. So stay, therefore, yomim stay with Laban. Until the anger of your brother has returned from you, v'shochach et asher asita lo. And he has forgotten what you have done to him. Just by the way, this isn't Rashi, this is just an observation from me. It just always seems a little bit unfair on Yaakov, because Rivka pushed him all the way into doing what he did, and now it sounds like Rivka is saying, it's your fault. You did it. Wait till Aesop has forgotten what you did. But I'm sure that's not really what Rivka means. I'm sure what Rivka means when she says uh, Et asha asita lo, that in terms of who actually pulled the trigger, it was you, Yaakov. It was my plan, Rivka. But it was you, Yaakov, who actually acted. And Aesop's enmity is to you, Yaakov. And that's the problem we have to deal with. So you'll stay there. Um, until Esau has calmed down and he's forgotten what you did, and I will send and I will bring you from there. And then, I'll just pause for a minute. Does she send? Well, we'll see later in Parshat Vayishlach how Rashi understands that Rivka did indeed send a message, a messenger to Yaakov to bring him back. Although, sadly, by the time Yaakov came back, Rivka had died and he never saw her again, which is a part of the tragedy of this story. And by the way, just to get the drama of this story, this all takes place in one day. One day in whatever time of day it was, Yitzchak says to Esau, go out and get me some venison. And by the end of that day, the the world has changed. Yaakov is a fugitive and he's never going to see his mother again. All because of the events of that one day. Anyway, back to this. Continues, um, Continues Rivka. Lama. Eshkal gam shenechem yom echad. Why, Eshkal um, is something, well, it's, it's first person plural, first person future. So, why should I Eshkal, um, both of you, on one day? So, this is a rather enigmatic phrase, and we need Rashi's help. So, first of all, he's going to explain what Lama Eshkal means. It says Rashi, Ehyeh, Shakula, Shakula, I will be, which he hasn't really explained yet, from both of you. Now, Rashi has added a letter. Everyone see what letter Rashi has added? I'll pause for a minute. I've been talking non-stop, so it's time for you to do some work. What, word, what letter has Rashi added at this point? Okay, it's the letter Mem. Because in the Pasuk, lama eshkol gam shenechem, and now ehyeh shukula, so that's, he's changed the grammar a little bit of that, but he's added the mem of mishnechem. So we'll come back to that, because we still don't know what eshkol or shukula means. Then Rashi says, hakove edbarnav, somebody who buries their children, lo kurui shakul, is called shakul. Yakov says in says, Mem Gimel Pasuk Yedaleh, when he agrees reluctantly to send Binyamin down to Egypt, he says, shakalti, when I will be shakulti, shakulti, I will be shakulti." Now, what is going on here? So the word shakul means to be bereft, means to lose one's children. Lower Lane. That's the word shakul, but. Rivka doesn't use the grammatical form shakul. She uses the word eshkal, which Rashi immediately replaces by shakula. Ehyeh shakula. That's the feminine form of shakul. And then he explains that shakul is hakove banav. Now shakul is in the passive voice. I am bereft or I am. um, Yeah, I suppose I am bereft of my children. Eshkal is in the active voice. But Rashi wants to explain that it's an intransitive verb. In the, in the pasuk, it looks like it's transitive. Eshkol is the verb. Gamshenechem looks like the object, but Eshkol doesn't have a meaning. To it, it's not a transitive verb. It can't act on somebody. It doesn't have an object, so it can't mean Eshkol. I will shakal the two of you. So Rashi has to make two changes. First of all, he replaces eshkol by shakula, which is clearly passive. I have been bereaved. I think that's probably the word I'm looking for. That's the grammatical equivalent in English. I have been bereaved. And then it's not I've been bereaved you as an object because it can't be an object. So he changes sheneichem to me sheneichem. I will be bereaved from both of you, from both Yaakov and Aesop. Why it should be Yaakov and Aesov at the same time? That'll be in the next Rashi. But... So, believe me, the next Rashi explains how Yaakov and Esau will die on the same day. So, lama eshkal gam means why should I be bereaved of both of you? But because it doesn't look like it says that, it looks like eshkal is an active verb, and gam looks like it's the object. Neither of those two can be true. So, Rashi replaces Eshkol by shakula, which clearly is passive, I have been bereaved, and sheneichem now is not the object, and that's why Rashi says, me sheneichem. And the reference to Yaakov, in Peret Mem Gimel saying shakalti, Shakulti, is to prove that Shakulti means I have been bereaved and not I am bereaving someone else. Because when Yaakov uses it, it's clearly passive, it's clear, or clearly intransitive. It's not, it's an expression about myself. It's not an expression, but I am going to act on anybody else. So I've been using these classical technical terms. Um, I should ask if everyone's familiar with transitive and intransitive, just in case somebody's not. Or somebody listening to the podcast transitive is to take an object i write a letter but intransitive is um uh, there's no object i i'm trying to think of a good example of intransitive um i can't think of one right now but there's no object it's just something that is relative to me i am in a certain state uh, that's called intransitive so since chacol is intransitive it can't be i am bereft uh, and acting on an object rashi has to explain that it clearly is intransitive. that's why he changes eshkal into shakula okay why should rivka be bereft of yaakov and esov on the same day he doesn't want Aes- she doesn't want esov to kill yaakov so she could have just said why should i be bereft of you why should i let the situation happen where you die at esov's hand So what is the two of them together, Yom Echad, on one day? Just by the way, this isn't Rashi, but I just thought I'd uh, share it. I don't know where I I don't forget. Sorry, I forget where I saw it. But sorry, this is non-Rashi, so I'm going against my own rules in the Shia. But Aesop said, I will kill Yaakov as soon as Yitzchak dies. So an interpretation, which I think is quite a good interpretation, really, is that when Yitzchak dies, yeah, Rivka fears, but that will be the day that Asob kills Yaakov. So the two of you will be Yitzhak and Yaakov will die on the same day. Maybe Rashi doesn't like that approach because Mishnechem, the two of you, is the two that she's been referring to up till now, namely Asob and Yaakov, which is why he explains why Asob and Yaakov would die on the same day. Says Rashi, Gamshnechem. If he rises over you, and you kill him. Now, what um, Rivka is referring to is the basic principle of self-defense. Um, somebody who comes to kill you, you can kill him first. That's the halacha. Um, your own life comes first before somebody else's life if they're trying to kill you. So says Rivka, if he, if Esav tries to kill you, Yaakov, you're going to follow the halacha. You're going to stand up and kill him first. But then what will happen? Ya'amdu vanav the yahar gucha. Then his children will get up and kill you. Inevitably, he will try. To, Aesop will try to kill Yaakov. Yaakov will succeed in killing Esav in self-defense. But then Aesov's children will avenge Ya Aesop and kill Yaakov, and therefore they're both going to die. Continues Rashi, Ruach Hakodesh va, Ruach Hakodesh again was literally thrown into her, benit nava, and she prophesied shabiyom echad yemutu that they will indeed die on one day. as is explained in the Gemara Sota daf Yud Gimol So there we read a whole long story, how Yaakov was to be buried in Mara Tamach Pela. And when he came to Maratamachpela, when his body came to Maratamachpela, Esau appeared and said, I deserve to be buried in Maratamachpela. After all, there are eight spots and Yaakov has already taken one of the last two because he buried Leia in Maratamachpela. To which the sons of Yaakov say, but excuse me, Mr. Esau, Uncle Esau, you gave up your rights. Um, there was that time when you sold away your birthright. To which Asov says, uh, no, what I gave up was my double portion as a firstborn, but I didn't give up my right to a regular portion. And therefore, I should get one spot in Maratomachpela. Yaakov has taken one, for Leah; I should get the other. Whereupon the brother said, no, 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 there is a document. There is a shtar mechira, a document of sale that confirms that you sold your place in Maratomachpela. Aesop said, where is this document? And the brothers said, ah, it's still in Egypt. So they sent Naftali, who was the fastest runner, back to Egypt to get the document. Meanwhile, Hushim, the son of Dan, who was hard of hearing, didn't know what was going on. All that he could see was his grandfather's body, Yaakov, was lying in disgrace because it wasn't being buried. And he got up and he killed, killed Aesop. He actually decapitated him. So Aesop's head, rolled into the grave where it was buried so there are in fact according to this midrash eight um buried in marat machpelah and Aesov's head and this is how Aesov died on the same day as yaakov as was prophesied by ruach HaKodesh by rivka i it doesn't mean that at all because yaakov died 70 days before because after Yaakov died, there were 40 days of, sorry, 30 days of embalming and 40 days of mourning, as is described at the end of Sefer Brashit, and then he was buried. So we have a bit of a problem understanding how this Midrash fits in what, with, what, well, with what the Pasek says, how this Midrash explains that Yaakov and Aser will die on the same day. And in order to answer that, you have to say that when it says they would die on the same day, it means Yaakov will be buried on the day that Aesop will die, because for Yaakov Avinu and the past, the Gemara says Yaakov Avinu low mate, uh, in in another enigmatic phrase, Yaakov did not die. So either you can say that in some sense Yaakov lived forever, which is not really what it says, um, or that Yaakov, when he died, That was not his last day. His last day was when he was buried. That finally was the end of Yaakov's life. Yeah, I don't want to dwell on this because it's not uh, essential for us, but in order to make that Midrash make sense, that's what you have to say. But if you can do that, then it ends up that Yaakov was buried on the day that Aesov died. In fact, I could go a little bit further. There is another detail in the Midrash that while all the fighting was going on, I, Yaakov opened his eyes and maybe that will be another answer. I mean, he's definitely dead because he died 70 days before. But somehow there was a little bit of life in him on, until that day. And on that day, Akov and Aesop died on the same day, which was what, according to Rashi, Rivka prophesied with Ruach HaKodesh. Now, why does Rashi have to say that? Why does Rashi have to say that? Because Rivka sounds like she's talking definitively. She's saying. Why should I be deprived of both of you on the same day? As if she knows it's going to happen. She doesn't say, perhaps, Ulai, I will be de- you will both die on the same day. She doesn't say that. She says, Lama, Lama Eshkolvi Vishenechem, sorry, Gam Shenechem. Why should I be bereft of both of you on the same day? As if she's talking with some certainty. Which is why Rashi um, says, nizraka Abad and she uh, Ruach Hakodesh was thrown into her, and she prophesied to explain the certainty in her question. Okay, moving on. Pasuk Memvav. Are we ready for Pasuk Memvav? Yes. Rivka El Rivka said to Yitzchak, Katsti I am. Well, Rashi. Let's go straight to Rashi. Rashi says, "On Katzti measti I am fed up. Literally, I'm disgusted by my life. Mipnei banot chet, because of the daughters of chet, the Hittite women whom Esau has married. And if you remember all the way back at the end of the last peruk, the women whom Esau married were a source of marat ruach, of bitterness of spirit to to, to Yitzchak and Rivka. So that's now referenced again by Rivka. She says, I'm fed up. My, I'm fed up with my life. As Rashi puts it, I'm disgusted with my life. Because of the daughters of Chait. And then she says, If Yaakov will take a wife from the daughters of Chait, like these ones, like these ones whom Aesop has taken, from the daughters of the land, Lama why for me is life? In other words, what's the point of living? Which then leads on to Yaakov being told by Yitzchak, go to Lavan's house and find a wife. So this passage here, Memvav, is um, Rivka sort of setting up Yitzchak to tell Yaakov to go to uh, Lavan's house to find a wife, which conveniently will get him out the way until Esav's anger has cooled. We see again, and Rashi doesn't comment on this, so I'm not going to, but again, from beginning to end up to this point, Rivka can't speak directly to Yitzchak. Rivka does not say to Yitzchak, listen, there's been a terrible calamity. The brothers uh, are at, death's, uh, at daggers and Esau's trying to kill Yaakov. She doesn't say that. She just says it would be bad if Yaakov took a local-born wife like Esau did. Let's send him away. She doesn't even say let's send him away, but the implication is it would be a good idea for him to go away. Okay. What is Rashi doing by translating Katsti b'chaya with me'asti b'chaya? So um, the simple answer is what else could katsti mean. So it could come from the root ketz, meaning end, meaning something like it's the end of my life. But Rashi says she's not saying that. She's saying I'm disgusted with my life. It's not that I'm ending my life. It's worth pointing out that um, in Shemot, Perak Aleph, Pasuk Bet where the Egyptians are concerned about the number of B'nai Israel living and growing in Egypt. And the passage there says, just as they afflicted them, as the Egyptians afflicted the Jews, so the Jews grew and so the Jews spread out, that does not mean, it cannot mean the Egyptians were at the end because of B'nei Yisrael, it means the Egyptians were fed up B'nei B'nei because of the B'nei Yisrael. And we see that use of that root kuftsadi as fed up elsewhere in the Khumish as well. That's a, uh, sh- that one from Shemot is a pretty clear example and an incontrovertible example that kutsu means they were fed up, which is how Rashi tells us that Katsli B'chayai means fed up and not that I've come to the end of my life. Um, by the way, I saw an interesting comment this isn't really Rashi, but it's not, not the end of the Rashi. Why does Yerivka say at this point, Lama Li why is my life? If Yaakov were to take a wife from the Canaanites, which, uh, and in order to make this thought work, would lead basically to the end of the Jewish people. Asov's a lost cause. And if Yaakov takes a Canaanite wife, that would also be the end, effectively. Um, that's why it'd be much, much better if he takes a wife like Rachel or Leah, who will be appropriate imahot. But if he takes a local wife, it will be the end. So I saw the following that where, where does Rivka enter the story of Jewish history? She enters the story of Jewish history immediately after the Akedah. Abraham comes back from the Akedah and he says, according to Rashi, um, if Yaakov had died, sorry, if Yitzhak had died on the altar, then where would my descendants be? So therefore, since Yitzhak didn't die on the altar, I better hurry up and find a wife for him, which two parochim later is the subject of Avraham sending Eliezer to find Rivka. And at that point, at the end of the parasha of the Akedah, we learn of the birth of Rivka. In other words, Avraham says, I need to find a wife for Yitzhak to carry on the lineage. Hey, presto, Rivka is born because Rivka's purpose is to be the ima, the one of the Imahot, to be the ancestress, if that's a word, let's say ancestor, I think we can say that these days, of the Jewish people, through the line of Yaakov. So now she says to Yitzchak, if Yaakov does not carry on the line, if Yaakov marries one of the Benot Haaretz, what's the point of my life? My whole life has been to ensure progeny going into the future, generation after generation, and if Yaakov doesn't do that, there's no point in my existence. That does not mean that Rivka is just a baby machine, it means something much, much, much greater than that. It means that Rivka's task is to be the mother of the ongoing Jewish nation up to eternity. That is her task. And if Yaakov doesn't fulfill his role, then her task is not fulfilled. Okay, let's go on to um, Pasuk. Oh, we finished the Perak. that's exciting. And um, we start the next Perak. Perekhaf Pasuk Aleph. Vayikra Yitzchak el Yaakov. Oto. Yitzchak called to Yaakov, and he blessed him. Yitzavehu and he commanded him. Vayomer lo, and he said to him, lo tikach isha Don't take a wife from the uh, daughters of Kanaan. Just by the way, we're going to see what the bracha is um, in Pasuk uh, Gimel and Dullard, um, and although Rashi doesn't comment on this, I think it's because it's so obvious. This uh, really um, colours our understanding of everything that's gone on before, and let me just remind you, Yitzhak wanted to give a bracha to Yaakov. We're not going down the line, sorry, sorry, to Esau, to Aesop. we're not going down the line that some want to say that he intended the bracha for Yaakov all along, and the one that Yaakov got instead of he was destined for Yaakov. Rashi doesn't say that. There's no need for us to say that right now. So Yitzhak intended a bracha for Aesov. Yaakov came and got that bracha. Esau came in and was very upset. And Esau said, is there any bracha for me? And Yitzhak said, I'm really sorry. No. And eventually he sort of cobbled together a, a second rate bracha. Yet, all along, he had a bracha saved for Yaakov. And the bracha mentioned in Pasuk Aleph and then exped explicitly in Gimel and Dalet was never intended for Esau, was always reserved for Yaakov. Showing that even if Yitzhak had the wrong idea about Esau, he always had the right idea about Yaakov. And we'll see as we go on what that bracha was and how it was always fitting for Yaakov. Okay. Uh, there's no Rashi on Aleph. So uh, the story continues in Bet. So... Yitzchak, having said he says, Kum Aram. Get up and go to Padan Aram Betuel. Now Rashi will tell you, as so I'm going to tell you now, the hay on the end of padana and the hey on the end of Baytan mean two. So Baita Batu'el means two, the house of betu'el. Avi betuel is the brother, is the father of your mother good it's all good But twelve is the father of your mother and take for yourself from there a wife from the daughters of Lavan the brother of your mother okay so the basic idea is continuing this theme of finding the right wife notice how different this is from the way Abraham found a wife for Yitzchak in that Yitzchak was not an active player at all and Avraham sent Eliezer to do all the work of finding a wife. A similar story here, at least a similar purpose, but this time Yaakov himself is to go and find the wife for himself. It says Rashi, Padena, Kamo le Padan. padena the hay, means it's the same as to Padan. And Beitah Patuel, the hay means to the house of Patuel. Le Beit to the house of Patuel every word that needs a lamed at the beginning, i.e., to mean two, la the sofa, it puts on it a hay at the end instead of the lamed at the beginning. Straightforward grammatical rule explaining the words padena and beta I do not know why Rashi brings this here and he does brings it in other places as well, and yet he doesn't pl- pl- bring it um, uh, in other places where you might have thought it's appropriate. For instance, um, no, there isn't one around here, but there are many places in Khumish where we have this grammatical phenomenon, a hay instead of a lamad. There are many places where Rashi does tell us this, which raises the question, why does he do it so often? I, I don't know. And there are places where he doesn't as well. And I don't know why he doesn't in some places as well. But here, there are two occurrences in the same Pasuk, um, uh, only two words apart, and Rashi feels the need to tell us um, that in both cases, Padena and Beta, the hay is instead of a Lamad. Okay, Pasuk, Gimel. And Kel Shakai is one of the names of Hashem. He should bless you, the Yafricha, and he should make you fruitful, the Yarbacha, and he shall make you many, the Hikal Amim, and you shall be a assembly of nations. And says Rashi, Kel Shakai, me should the Birchotav, Barchin Mipiv, Yivrechotach. So, Kel Shakai, now the key word of Shakai is die. So literally, Kel Shakai is God who is die sufficient. Someone, says, Rashi, me should die, somebody who's sufficient in his blessings to those who are blessed from his mouth. Yivarech Otaft, he should bless you. Now, I think we need to see Rashi on Peruk um, Yud Zayan Pasak Aleph. Because there, um, kel Shakai appears to Avraham and blesses him. And Rashi there says, uh, so Hashem says, Ani kel shakai. says, Rashi there, Ani dai be'elokoti, be'elokoti l'chol I am he, I am the God who has died sufficient in my godness to all creation. Therefore, you should walk before me. And I will be for you as a God and as a patron. We don't need to worry about that. Well, we've seen it before a long time ago, but that's not our subject now. The point is that Rashi, when Kel Shekai, when Hashem introduces himself as Kel Shikai, Rashi explains why that particular appellation is appropriate in that context. And then Rashi says, this is still on Yud and Pasuk Aleph, V'chein <speaking> kol <Hebrew> Every place where that is in scripture, Perusho Kach. Its explanation is thus die shalo Dai, sufficient of his the lefi ha inyan. And every place is according to the context. So, in other words, one of Hashem's name is Kelshakai. But it's it's a little bit of a rare name, it's not used very often. It's something to do with die meaning enough. And Rashi there in Yud Zayan Aleph says. Whenever it appears, it fits the context, which means Rashi's given himself a task. And the task is, wherever it appears, Rashi has to explain the context. So here, Yitzchak gives the bracha to Yaakov by invoking the name of Kel Shakai. So Rashi has to explain why is it called Kel Shakai at this place. So he says, Yitzchak means somebody, a, a God, who is sufficient in his blessings, to those who are blessed by his mouth, he is the one, he is the one who will bless you. And now we come to Pasuk Dalot, which I promised you is really the key to what bracha did Yitzchak intend for Yaakov all along. And he will give you the blessing of Avraham to you and to your descendants with you, et Eretz to inherit the land of your sojournings, natan Elokimla Avraham, which Hashem gave to Avraham. So there you have it. All along, Yitzchak intended. This is my interpretation, but I, I think it's the only one to so I don't say that um, grandly. I think it's very clear from the words that all along, the Birkat Avraham, who was going to inherit the mantle of Abraham, who was going to be the father of Abraham's descendants, who was going to be the father of the Jewish people, that was for Yaakov. The Birkat Avraham, Yitzchak never let Esau get anywhere near that. And he gave it now to Yaakov. Now, what is the Birkat Avraham? Now, notice how the posseh is structured in posseh Dalat. There's the Birkat Avraham, and that says, and then the, there's, a, there's a sort of exemplification of that, is L'Rishtacha et Eret Mugurecha A'shenatan Elokim Avraham. But Rashi seems to go in a slightly different tack. Rashi says on the words Et Birkat Avraham, That Hashem said to him, i.e. to Avraham, I will make you a great nation. And also, um, he, 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 you will, they will be blessed in your descendants. Those brachat will be said for you. From you will come that nation, and that blessed descendants. In other words, it will come from you and not the other guy, not from Aesop. The bracha is that Abraham will be the ancestor of a great nation and that nation will come from you, not from Aesop. And that's what it means that you'll get the Birkat Abraham. So Rashi says, basically, the Birkat Abraham is two things. I'll make you a great nation. And, nation, and, and they will be blessed in your descendants. Now, notice... This is not the full extent of the brachas given to Abraham. One uh, way of reading this reference, this Rashi, is Rashi is actually listed the first and the last bracha given to Abraham. The first bracha, is, uh, was given to Abraham at the time of Lech Lecha, when Hashem first told Abraham to go to Eretz Israel, uh, And one of the promises was, I'll make you a great nation. And the second bit, Bazarakha was given to Abraham at the Akedah, which was the last time that Hashem or where it's recorded that Hashem appeared to Abraham and was the last bracha that Abraham was given. So you could say that Rashi references the first and last bracha and he's referring to all of them from beginning to end. Another uh, thought is that these two things Sorry, the the problem that I'm trying to address here is why does Rashi mention these two and not all the other things that Hashem said to Avraham? So the next suggestion is that these two were particularly pertinent to Yaakov at this time. If you look back at Rashi on Perut Yudbet, on the Esachalagoy Gadol, I'll make you a great nation. Rashi there said that Avraham needed that bracha because he was asked to make a big journey. And traveling reduces the number of children that you have said Rashi there. Yaakov is also about to make a big journey. So you could say that this bracha is now pertinent to Yaakov at this time. And furthermore, baruchu the, bazaracha, the nations will be blessed in your seed, which means you will have a positive impact on the nations around you. Interestingly enough, this is really the first time in Jewish history since Abraham that there will be a Jew building his family amidst non-Jews um I said well when I say that I suppose Yitzchak was well Yitzchak was not amidst non-Jews although he lived close to them um but Yaakov is now going to live in Lavan's house Yaakov is going to live in the other house it's going to turn out to be for 20 years he will be a member of the Lavanite community out there in Haran and he's going to have lots of children so the they will be blessed in your descendants um, is going to be particularly appropriate to Yaakov at this time so you could say that these two things that Rashi mentions out of the totality of the blessings to Abraham are ones that are particularly pertinent to Yitzchak at this time Um, it's also worth pointing out you see, uh, sorry, what I'm about to say is you can read it in two ways you can read that Rashi doesn't need to mention um the giving of the land because the posse mentions it so you could say that rashi reads it like this the posse says so there's various things included in the bracha and the is said explicitly so i don't rashi doesn't need to mention that but it's part of the birkat avraham but rashi mentions other things which are also part of the birkat avraham however by the way that, that's not clearly what Rashi seems to be doing. Rashi seems to be saying, I'll tell you what Birchat Abraham is. It's Esachalagoy be'hit Baruchu Bazaracha. That's Birchat Avraham. As if the Yerusha of the Eretz, of Eretz Mgurecha is something separate. So the, both the Mizrahi and the Maharal say, yes, the, um, the uh, land is something separate. It's not part of the Baracha from Hashem to Abraham. It's a Matana, from Hashem to Abraham. Now that Matana will then be inherited by Yitzchak and will then be inherited by Yaakov, but it's separate from the Birkat Avraham. And that seems to be what Rashi is saying, that Rashi spells out Birkat Abraham with no mention of Eretz Israel. The Pasuk also mentions Eretz Israel, but it sounds like Rashi is saying that's something separate, which is why the Mizrahi and the Maharal um, suggests that, yes, it's not part of the bracha, it's part of the matana. I'm not sure if there's a nafkamina, I'm not sure if there's a, a, a practical difference between the two, but that would explain why Rashi makes no reference to the land in his explanation of what is Birkat Abraham. And I think we will stop there. So we have a little bit more to do and Pasuk Hey, and Vav and Zion, and Het, and then a mega Rashi on Tet, And that will all be in store for us next week. So I will say thank you very much.